Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. The question that we should all be asking this January is who or what needs to retire in 2023? And the most obvious person to start with is Tom Brady. <laughs> I really kind of feel bad for him. I feel very bad. Well, so I, I'm i from Boston. If you've listened mm. to this show before, you know that. Um, so as a Bostonian, I both have tremendous sorrow mm. over Tom Brady and a little bit of like, man, you should have gotten your, your life together a while back. You kind of did this to yourself and you've made a lot of poor choices including leaving New England slash being pushed out of New England. But uh, mainly mainly <laughs> he's made a lot of poor personal choices, which I don't know him personally, so we won't get into that here. Uh, but, yeah, even though I love Tom Brady, follow him closely, I think it's time to hang it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I only watched probably the first 10 or 15 minutes of that game, but it was sad. He doesn't know how to quit. He yeah, just, man doesn't know. And how he's to quit. only getting angrier. Maybe I mean, isn't that something that's normal? Like older people are are angry, so maybe that's just what's happening. <laughs> I will say he he does well when he's pissed off. He actually <laughs> plays real well when he's pissed. Uh, but yeah, things are things are slipping. But I think he's definitely going to go. I would say for at least another year. Like I don't know. Like when when do you stop? Like. It was like when they put like how old Tom Brady was when another player was born. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're 20, 21 years old in the NFL, which you play college for two or three years and yep. then you move on and totally. And Tom Brady's what, 42? So 43, maybe. So, yeah. So he was graduated college already in the NFL when a lot of these guys were born. Yeah. Oh, goodness. No, no, no. He's 45. He's 45? He's 45. Oh. So, yeah. So, yeah. Tom Brady could literally be these guys' dads. Yeah. That is wild. All right. Well, so what what else do we need to have retire in 2023? I will – speaking of individuals who are older and maybe too old for the capacity that they're in. (laughs) Taylor Swift. Oh, (laughs) shots fired. Wow. Um, I was going to say our our president. President (laughs) I think think he needs to – yeah, I mean, uh, there's lots of individuals that stay very, very with it and on top of it in their old age. Um, I think from what we're seeing from President Joe Biden, he needs to go enjoy some time with grandkids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I second that. Go go to the beach. Go live the best years of your life with your family exactly. rather than in the White House. Um, I put a lot of thought into this. Um, and actually, I, I really didn't, but it kind of came to me just now <laughs> while you were saying that. I was going to be really impressed. I was like, wow, Kristen was lying awake last night thinking, no. what um, needs to retire this year? No, I, I just was thinking. Um, so Zara has these little baby bags, right? They're like little fashion statement bags yeah. that can hold maybe a credit card. I don't even think it's big enough for a credit card. I think we need to get rid of the wallet purse look this oh, year. Really? Yes. Oh, What about the fanny pack? How do you feel about fanny so packs? So fanny packs are fine. I'm talking about like the, the little really baby little. bag. Like okay. I'm holding my hand here and it's like the size of a credit card. You can maybe fit a chapstick. Probably that's it. And, and I don't even think credit cards fit in. So I would say that's, that's what I want to retire fashion wise this year mm. is let's Kim Kardashian made them big last year. I, I'm not here for them anymore. Yeah. Fanny packs are good, though. Okay. Yeah, fanny packs are convenient. I I would be okay with seeing uh, combat boots go away. Mm. I'm just not a huge style of that fan for shoes. 
Um, now, full confession, I did recently buy my first pair because <laughs> wow, I'm like, well, everyone's wearing them, so I guess I'll get a pair. But I, I'm just... Where I'm would just you wear not... combat boots to? So not like full-on combat boots, but like the style, like the sole has that like more intense style on oh. the shape. Like the lug boot, is that what you're referring to? Probably. Like Doc Martens kind of deal, like early 90s chunky shoes? I Chun- love the Maybe chunky, chunky. yeah. Really? I, I, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's... I tend towards a more of a classic look, and they're they're not that. No. Um, but you know, I'm I'm trying to get with the kids, and <laughs> be stylish. Yeah, see, that's a good thing. Is like, so I've been carrying a little wallet thing <laughs> since I was like 18 years old because I hate, and like uh, my family's giving me so much crap about this. I hate carrying purses because I just hate the clutter that comes with them. I just uh-huh. like want my phone and my wallet, unless I'm like gonna go somewhere, and then I'll pack a. A bag. But, yeah. like, having a purse with just, like, random junk in, I'm like, what do I need when I go to the grocery store? You know? I mean, you never know. You might need a chapstick, an yeah. umbrella. But with those little Advil. baby purses, that's all you can carry. Tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. Well, we're not going to retire. We're going to keep going. There we and go. And go on with the show. That's right. So, Lauren, let us know what we have queued up. Up on this week's Problematic Women, we discuss new research that shows Americans are $7,400 poorer under the Biden administration. Plus, classified documents were found in Biden's possession in November, but the public didn't find out until two months later. We'll explain why that matters. Plus, the classic movie Titanic is answering one of the fans' biggest questions and complaints about the film. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that we think are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by the so-called feminist left. If you are a conservative woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. It's no secret that prices increased significantly since Biden took office. From groceries to gasoline, inflation is impacting families across the country with little relief in sight. (laughs) And while some celebrated last week's CPI report, which showed overall prices declined by a tenth of a percentage point in December, (laughs) prices have increased by 13.7 percent since Biden took office. And the prices of many household goods remain elevated. For instance, eggs are up 189.9%. That is a real percentage point. Gasoline is up 44.3%, and electricity is up 21.3%, just to name a few. A new Heritage report explained that these price hikes have made the average American family $7,400 poorer under Biden and explains that Washington spending is to blame. All right. So there's a lot of numbers there. And I think what's most alarming to me, at least, is how much spending power the average American family has lost or average American in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you guys noticed, I guess, when you go to the grocery store or the gas pump, like what have you noticed price change wise? Food, for sure, I think is is the biggest one. Unless I'm super, super careful, it's very easy for me right now to go to the grocery store and spend twice as much Mm. as what I used to be spending on my grocery budget. Um, part of that is I'm trying to eat healthier here at the beginning mm. of the year. So I'm buying more produce, but produce is one of those things that's gotten hit really, really hard. 
uh, lettuce is up crazy amounts, um, eggs <laughs> up so high. It's made me actually, well, I, there's no way I could have chickens in my current living situation. <laughs> but I'm coveting people that have chickens. I'm like, that sounds great to not have to buy eggs at the grocery store yeah. right now. They're like nearly $10 at Whole Foods right now, which granted, everything's expensive at Whole Foods. I don't shop at Whole Foods except for like random specialty items. Mm. Uh, but they're, but they're, it's fi- they're five plus dollars at Aldi where I used to buy them for $1.80. And they're supposed to be so cheap there. Yeah. But yeah, it's like no one can escape these high inflation prices. I mean, even Costco, they have the five dozen egg pallet thing. And that used to be $5. So you'd get a dozen for a dollar. But now... Not only are they – sometimes they're not even available. At the Costco uh, in D.C., they only had the two dozen available because people are buying it so fast. But the prices have been, like, doubled, too. Wow. So, yeah. um, cat litter the other day, I noticed, was up, like, $3 per thing, oh which, you know, like, it's already kind of expensive. It's, like, 12 bucks to buy a box of cat litter. Mm-hmm. But now that was up to, like, $16. And I'm like – who, who can afford it? <laughs> yeah. know, like, but it's one of those things that I can't be like, oh, going to skip this month because I want my house to smell nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's one of those things where you watch lawmakers in D.C. making decisions, passing huge spending bills, and you sort of think, eh, it doesn't really affect me, right? Like it, it's not coming out of my pocket. But yeah, it is. And this mm-hmm. is the proof when inflation goes so high and things are so crazy and so out of control. This is the direct result of when we have leaders in power who don't care about money and who are totally unhinged in their spending. That trickles down to you. It might take a couple months, a year, a few years, but eventually we feel it. But Virginia, you don't understand. These lawmakers really wanted to go home for Christmas, so (laughs) they just had to spend $1.85 trillion. They just like, could. can you blame them? Like, <laughs> They're like, Santa's not going to come. I know. We Santa can't it. afford to come anymore. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, and I love their messaging, too, of like, inflation's less bad than it was before. Right. Like, well, no. this is the same administration that said it was transitory and that it would be over, you know, in a matter of months, which is insane. But... Um, I actually had the opportunity to talk about this this number, this Heritage Report, with one of the economists here at Heritage. And what I thought was most interesting and what he pointed out was um, in the, the last few months, obviously, prices have increased. But what people don't realize is borrowing has also greatly increased. And so where we get this $7,400 number is that with inflation, prices have gone up that have cost families $6,000. But in addition to that, with borrowing costs, so credit card payments, um, taking out a loan, that's increased uh, at a borrowing rate that also costs the average Americans $1,400. So something that really shocked me, honestly, was how much monthly mortgage payments have gone up since Biden took office. And that was a whopping 80%, which basically means another ten grand every year for the same house um, for those people that are looking to buy a house right mm-hmm. now, if they can afford it. It's so discouraging mm-hmm. for young people like myself who, yeah. who have that goal of, and Kristen, I, I know that you're trying to move towards that as well, of trying to buy a home. And you hear that, and it's like, well, why even try? Like, what is the, what is the <laughs> point? The point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I own a house, so. Okay. Sounds like y'all's problem. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, I was... Um, 
telling Virginia and Kristen before we started, I did a calculator, um, just curious to see what the new interest rates on my mortgage would be. And it would be $1,000 more a month. Mm. I would not be able to afford my house for $1,000 more a month. How this affects the everyday American and how the Biden administration continually gets away with that is something that I do not understand. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully the beauty of the fact that we live in a society with elections is that we can put a stop to these things. We yeah, can but we just had an leaders. election, though. Well, yeah, you're right. And it went it went uh, not to like how long us were but I, I. But if we do it again, if we do it again, maybe we'll get, maybe. But no, you're right. It, it's a little discouraging when you look at what happened. But I do think that there's real opportunity to see to see a change in 2024. But yeah, and I, I guess mean, we won't hold our breath. The next the next test for that is the debt ceiling limit that's coming right. up on Thursday. So that that'll give us some perspective on on where we're at. I'm not entirely sure what to anticipate. But, um, yeah, I, I think new leadership needs to hold our government accountable and, and really show the Americans that they are getting what they voted for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, up next, we're going to be talking about why Biden has some classified documents that he shouldn't have and why exactly it matters. But first, I want to tell you all about a super fun way that you can stay connected with problematic women throughout the week. Problematic women is on Instagram. You can catch highlights of the show, fun reels, social graphics, and stay informed on what we're covering by following us on our Instagram account. Um, and we always are trying to put up new fun creative content, keep it light, but also really educate you all on what's happening. So often I'm sharing news articles from here at the Daily Signal because we want to keep you all informed on what that big news that's happening, not just on Thursday every week, but throughout the week. So go ahead, pull out your phone and look up Prominent Women on Instagram. Just look for that bright pink logo. Classified documents have been found in President Biden's possession. So let's start by talking about the facts. This is what we know. Six days before the midterm elections, on November 2nd, classified documents were found in a closet in an old office of President, now President Joe Biden's in Washington, D.C. He had that office long before he was president. These are documents that Biden had uh, when he was vice president. So they're documents he took with them, left the White House after being vice president under uh, Obama. So Biden's lawyers, they found the documents and immediately reported the discovery to the National Archives and the Records Administration. The American people, though, didn't learn about the documents until two months later. Interesting. Take note of that. Uh, Then a second batch of classified documents were found at Biden's home in Delaware in his garage, apparently the same garage where he keeps his Corvette. Some of the classified documents are reported to pertain to Iran, Ukraine, and Britain. And now Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to investigate Biden's possession of the documents. And the name of the individual who has been appointed is Robert Hur. He's the special counsel. He is a former U.S. attorney for Maryland who was appointed by uh, President Donald Trump. So why exactly does this matter? Well, I think first off, it's really important to note that President Donald Trump was found to have classified documents. And the left took him to task, still is, for this. 
It's also worth pointing out that while many are drawing parallels between Biden and Trump, one thing that's really important to keep in mind is that Trump had the authority to declassify any document he wanted to while he was president. Biden, as vice president, he didn't have that authority. So the documents, they were discovered right before the midterm elections. Why do you all think, though, it took until January for the information to come out that Biden had classified documents? Meanwhile, the media is talking so much about Trump having classified documents. Because of the double standard. I mean, (laughs) the left can do whatever they want. You know, like we're less than a week out from when the FAA had some weird mishap and every flight in America was grounded. (laughs) And like, no, Mayor Pete, he'll deal with it. Like, no, like that's huge. Yeah. And it's the over and over and over again, the left can do no wrong. And, you know, Donald Trump breaks wind and it's a huge <laughs> national news story. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it goes back so much with that. Lauren is who who controls the levers. And because the left is predominantly the ones, the talking heads uh, that have that run the cable networks on TV that have these major, major news outlets control, with the exception of a handful, they dominate the narratives so often. Um, And that's why organizations, news outlets like the Daily Signal exist, because we want to shine light on the things that other news outlets aren't shining light on. Yeah, I think that's the scariest part, too, is if you look at the timeline for Trump versus Biden, first of all, January 20th, 2020, Trump leaves four hours before now President Biden Mm -hmm. comes to the White House. And by August 5th of 2022, that's what, a little less than two years later, the, like, process is is starting to get a warrant on Mar-a-Lago, which... That's less than two years. Meanwhile, Vice President Biden left the White House or wherever he left on on January 20th, 2017. And it wasn't until five, maybe six, I can't do math right now, years later that his lawyer found a classified document at the Biden-Penn Center. That is such a difference in timing, such a difference in eagerness to, you know, catch someone red handed. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise to me at all that, you know, they find this on November 2nd, a very scary time for Democrats when we were anticipating a red wave. Of course, you know, a lawyer willingly brings this to the the DOJ and and the DOJ is like, wait a minute, we don't want to talk about this right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they're, you know lighting the fire even as much as they can to ensure that everyone is distrusting Trump and as default Republicans. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, they knew about this before the midterm elections and they hit it. And we were just joking about the midterm elections and how disappointing they were. But it's true. There were so many things that Biden voters had to hold their nose and vote for Democrats for. We don't know. This could have been kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and swung this far right. But we don't know. And the same Mm -hmm. exact thing happened in 2020 with the Hunter Biden story, Mm -hmm. where all those national security officials came out and were like, no, this story is not true, da-da-da. Now we know that story was very true, but you could not find it on social media. So it's time and time again, the left tries to do these, what seems little things of like, oh, our bad, you know, we'll, we'll move on. Like, no, they are really creating huge changes in kind of the political landscape and 
We don't know what the difference would have been. What if Biden hadn't been president for the past couple of years? Mm -hmm. Things would have been so much better. I mean, well, and we know with the Hunter Biden story because of Elon Musk and his Twitter files, mm -hmm. we know that that story was intentionally suppressed. And but yet where where is the outrage from from the mainstream media saying the White House has engaged in election meddling and saying that the the Biden family, the Biden administration has tried to kind of rewrite narratives mm -hmm. for themselves in order to gain uh, favor in elections. Of course, they're not saying that, uh, but we'll say it here. Yeah, no. And I think you kind of touched on this earlier. This has been something since 2017. And, and this has been something since he was the vice president that he has been working on. So how long has this, I'm not putting a tinfoil hat on at all, but how long has this <laughs> been a in little the works? <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to watch, you know, Fox cover President Biden now saying how awful it was that Trump kept some documents in secure locations. Like, let's remember where the FBI went. They went to his home in, in, in Florida and they searched a bedroom, an office, and poor Melania's closet. I remember she said something about how violated she felt, and the left laughed at her for that. That was disgusting and terrible. And yet they find these documents next to his Corvette in his garage. Well, I guess it's a closet in his garage. Well, I think, I think well, I don't know if it was a closet in the garage. I think it was just in the garage, and then at, the, um, at his office it was a closet. Okay, yeah, so... Regardless, next to, like, insecure, not secure locations, at least Mar-a-Lago is guarded and has security. And the left and, and media just, like, turns a blind eye. Why? It, it, you said it before. It's a double standard. It's really sad. And, and the president basically lied to the American people when he talked about how terrible it was that Trump had documents while knowingly having documents from a time where he wasn't even empowered to declassify them. Yeah. I've kind of wondered from this if we will see the press go quietly into the night on Trump, if they will pull back on their rants over Trump having classified documents because they know that they don't want to talk about Biden mm. having classified documents too much. You know, they'll ride the news cycle. But are they going to continue to hound this? Because now, ooh, now they'd have to talk about both sides having mm. behavior that's not kosher. I think the DOJ will. I think the government kind of knows better. But I think those on the left and, you know, and especially in places like MSNBC and CNN, their their brain is able to do so many somersaults to logically make this make sense. Mm. I mean, go on Twitter and look at President Biden's Twitter feed. He talks like the economy is the best it's ever been and we have so many jobs. And you're like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not true. Excuse me, Sarah. Literally walk into any grocery store and you'll know it's wrong, but they're able to justify it in their heads somehow. And Yeah. 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 And you see that too. I, last point on the DOJ's involvement, but they have already told the FBI to stand down because they're trusting lawyers with zero security clearance to turn these documents over. Mm. And I, I just, I mean, if the Department of Justice for the United States of America can do that, CNN and MSNBC, Fox even, can all do it, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I like how the White House uh, reporters got Biden where they talked about his garage and, you know, his <laughs> his Corvette. And then Biden will, like, totally just opens up like, oh, yeah, they're totally safe. They're next to my Corvette. And they're like, no, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no President Biden. That's not, not how it works. But, you know, he was supposed to stick to this line of, like, 
they were in a secure location. But as soon as you bring up his cars, he's like, you know, a little kid, he's like, oh, my Corvette. Let's talk about my Corvette. So Which goes funny. back to, like, poor man. Like, you should be in retirement. Like, Go enjoy your Corvette. Go Not enjoy a poor that man. Corvette. He, that man Ugh. started... In the government, when he was basically as young as he could possibly be to be a senator. He was younger than Tom Brady, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my, he was like 15 years younger than Tom Brady. You have to be 30, and I believe he was like 29 and a half when he was elected. And mm. like, you know, it was like he was like barely old enough to be a senator. Now the man is older than dirt, and he's still making money off the government. He's has more homes than I have. And... I, yep. I mean, I wish no ill will on the man, nope. but I do. We'd all like him to to, to call it a day. Yeah. Yes. Definitely someone yeah. call who it should a retire. Call, call it a day. day. Go enjoy the Corvette and the kids. And... <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> speaking of things that are controversial and controversial opinions, on a slightly lighter note, though, the director of the Titanic, James Cameron, is working on finally putting to rest one of the common questions and criticisms of his 1997 film, The Titanic. So when the ship... Virginia, are you going to do a spoiler alert? Uh... This movie only came out, what, like 17 <laughs> years ago? If you have not seen The Titanic, I'm I'm sorry. Um... Do you remember how like, big of a deal it was? It was like, I think it came out in 1996, and it, it was two cassette tapes so when you went and bought it the movie was so oh, yeah. long we had that we yeah. had the the two debt uh they're not discs vhs the yeah. two vhs tapes and like yep. it was like a big thing that you had to like wow can you believe this movie's so long it's so long and but, but they're doing so this year is the 25th anniversary of the titanic mm. and so they, shows, shows my math skills <laughs> 17 <laughs> close i thought it came out in 1996 97 97 oh yeah i guess that is yeah, I know. It makes you feel old. Uh, but they are re-releasing it in theaters and sort of in partnership with that re-release in the 25th anniversary, uh, National Geographic has gotten involved and they're making a documentary to prove or get to the bottom of this theory that so many fans have had. And that's that essentially Jack did not need to die in order to save Rose's life. So if you've seen the movie, even if you hadn't, you're probably aware of the scene because people talk about it. After the Titanic sinks, they are in this freezing cold water. And there is what most fans have said was a door, but I guess technically it's a piece of like the ship's cabin of like uh, side paneling from the ship's cabin and Jack helps Rose get up on it and then he tries to get up on it and as he's trying it sort of tips back and you know it's it's normal if you've ever like had uh, like a raft or something even in the lake and you're trying to like pull your sibling up on it it like starts to tip back but Jack doesn't try again it's like he just gives up and is like oh okay we obviously both can't fit on this board even though it's pretty large and so he dies sorry big spoiler there if you haven't seen the movie um but fans have said for years no jack could have gotten on that board and they both could have lived and lived happily ever after so now national geographic is actually they've created this whole uh documentary with a scenario where they use stunt doubles in very very cold water the same size board to see if it actually legit would have worked out that rose and jack could have both survived on this piece of wood. Um, let's just take a second. I want to play a clip of the trailer for you all so you can hear James Cameron talking about this documentary. 
faster your heart's beating, the faster that cooling blood from your arms and legs is coming into your core and taking your temperature down. So I was really curious to see what that did to Jack's situation. What we saw was that he got up on there and he immediately went into the really strong, shaking, shivering, right? So this documentary is out uh, in February. I think like the first week of February, you can catch it on National Geographic. What do you all think the conclusion will be? Will is this a full length? Like <laughs> yes. I don't know if it's hour and a half long know, documentary. Is it full I think it. I think it's like maybe an hour. I don't. I don't. But it is a real full documentary. Wow. So <laughs> the world is invested. They wow. want to know if Jack could have lived. <laughs> I mean, I want to know, but I'll probably watch like five minutes. <laughs> watch the summarized yeah. version. <laughs> I. I bet. See, the thing is, if they say that he couldn't have survived, I think I'm not going to believe them. <laughs> well, because I've always held the theory that Jack could have lived. They could yeah. have balanced it. No, for sure. And I actually am one of the crazy people that have not seen the movie, um, partially because I'm just terrified of the idea of the Titanic, but <laughs> partially just because it's super long and I just never got to it. But um, from my understanding of what happens I get the rationale of if it was just a plank of wood that it wouldn't be able to hold two people above water mm-hmm. so they would still, you know, die of hypothermia if it was it was two of them. However, I don't know why he had to be on that board. You know, he could have swam around. There's plenty of people that have survived swimming swimming the English Channel and granted that's not as cold as the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> But he's not also He should have kept moving. He should have kept moving. He should have tried to find one of the lifeboats because from learning about the Titanic in middle school or whenever, I remember a ton of lifeboats were not full. (laughs) He could have swam, pulled himself on that, and Homeboy could have survived. But he didn't because he was thinking too much about the door. And uh, apparently Rose. And Rose. This, I mean, I think that I think that's what they're trying to portray is his commitment to love. Oh, yeah, that scene mm. where, like, Leonardo DiCaprio was, like, blue in the face and he, like, yeah. slowly goes. I mean, and that's she like, says, I'll never let go, Jack. And uh, then she lets, let's go. go. <laughs> I don't know. So I fell into one of those YouTube polls not too long ago about the Titanic, <laughs> which, don't worry, my team here at Heritage made a lot of fun of me for, so, which I deserved. Kristen, I think you're pretty much dead when you're in the water because it's that cold that like you don't really like, like, I don't even know if she really would have survived on like all your internal organs start shutting down kind of thing. Yeah, I think the water was like 31 degrees or something. I think they said it was 28. Yeah. So like it was like you're in it for like four or five minutes and you're. But that's four or five minutes of swimming around. Yeah, but like, like uh, what? Like over half of the ship died. Like, you, if it was that easy, like you, they would have showed up and everybody would be like sitting on a board. Like, no. Okay, that's, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, sorry to. <laughs> we just have to have accurate Titanic news for the. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're all about accuracy here. Well, we we will find out in February what the conclusion is of this. And, you know, it's kind of fun. I was way too young when it came out in theaters to actually go see the Titanic. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll go see in February when they do a theatrical release for the 25th anniversary. Maybe I'll actually go see it on the big screen. We'll see. But are there any... My great-grandma went and saw the Titanic in theaters, which is kind of cool to think about. That is actually really special. Yeah. She would have been like... 
five-ish years wow. old. And she went and saw Titanic. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Man, now you definitely have to go because of that. Yeah. Are well, there? I was like just old enough that like my friends who got to see it were like, oh, I wasn't nice because I was like seven or eight. And yeah. Like, I was so cool. And, but like absolutely no PG-13 movies until I was 13 in my family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is it is kind of, you know, they, they show a lot. <laughs> yeah. They don't hold back. Yeah. <laughs> are there any movies coming out in 2023 that you all, like, calendar marked, you are ready to go and excited and waiting for them? Virginia, you could say, like, here's $20, name one movie that's coming out in theaters this year, and I would be, I have no clue. Well, so usually that's how I am, too. But I am so excited because Volume 3 of Guardians of the Galaxy is coming out. <laughs> And it's four days after my birthday, oh. so definitely going to go see that. Yes. I'm so excited. I am a huge fan of the soundtracks from the previous two. Mm-hmm. I love Baby Groot. I have one at my desk. Um, <laughs> and obviously, I'm into space, so like, there's that aspect, too, that's oh, pretty rad. Yeah. But yeah, very excited for, for Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm looking forward to that as well. I As far as what we know so far is coming out, I think what I'm most looking forward to is the second Dune Mm. in uh, November. The first one was very good, and it's very intriguing, and it's just a super unique storyline. And really, the first one left you on such a cliffhanger. So I'm excited Mm. to see where they go. I think the first one's up for an Oscar, too. Is it really? Yeah. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. Well, if there is a movie coming out, in 2023 that you are super excited about, DM us on the Problem Equipment Instagram account. Let us know so we can mark our calendars and enjoy it with you. (laughs) But stay with us because up next, we're going to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Bridget Weisenberger. Oh, I didn't know I was getting crowned. You are. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Bridget is a good friend, but also the associate director of campaigns, partnerships and outreach here at the Heritage Foundation. As part of her job, she is heavily involved in the March for Life, which is happening tomorrow right here in Washington, D.C. Bridget just happens to be here with us now. So, A, we can thank her. She is uh, crazy the past couple of weeks getting ready for the march. She is everything pro-life really here at the Heritage Foundation. Mm-hmm. If you have a question, you go to her. But, Bridget, we also want to talk to you kind of what the march is going to be like this year. For the first time in over 50 years, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And so now the march, the focus has shifted right before the march would end at the Supreme Court, hoping that – it would overturn Roe, and that's happened, and we had a really great June to celebrate. But how do you think the march is going to be different this year? Yeah, well, I think uh, 
it's always a positive vibe at the march, but this year I think there will really be a lot of celebration. We didn't mm-hmm. think that before the 50th anniversary yeah. of Roe, we would have uh, it gone and a chance to mm-hmm. really make some decisions about abortion in America. So I mm-hmm. think there'll be there'll be a lot of uh, joy. And the the great thing is that the theme this year is next steps marching into a post-Roe America. So it's really looking forward. And this year we'll be marching to the Capitol as opposed to the Supreme Court, which is really focused on, you know, reminding our elected representatives that they have a role to play mm-hmm. um, and that it's not just that it goes back to the states, that actually Congress has a say in the matter as well. Yeah. And, so. and even the route has changed. Yeah, it has changed. Uh, we'll see how chaotic that, that becomes. <laughs> but uh, it, it'll still be pretty close. The Supreme Court will go around to the front of the Capitol mm. uh, and and gather there. And why why is it so important to keep marching? Because I think it can sort of feel like, OK, we've had this victory of Roe v. Wade and, you know, maybe we should just sort of be holding, you know, local marches at the state level but what what really is the purpose now of still gathering in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of them being that the Dobbs decision itself said that the decision on abortion now goes back to the people's elected representatives, which means, yes, your state legislators. It means Congress as well. And so we need to make sure Congress doesn't forget that they have a duty and responsibility here to protect life. Uh, but it's also – you know, where there are states across the country that are that have radical abortion laws. You look mm-hmm. at California, you look at New York, um, and there's very little that people who are pro-life there can do to protect unborn life. And so that's part of the reason why the federal government does need to make some stand uh, on this issue because it, it's absurd that all all nine months of pregnancy she can have an abortion at any mm-hmm. point. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, <laughs> it's. If you if you go back to Lincoln and the slavery debate, he 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 talks about how we move from this point of seeing slavery as a necessary evil to a positive good. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the messaging today on the side that supports abortion, it's not just this is a terrible decision that a woman ha- often is forced into making, but this is a good thing that we should be celebrating. And I think that's that's not good for the the morality of the American people. It undermines self government, undermines, you know, the principles of equality and uh, protecting life that we are founded upon. Yeah, and the march isn't just the only thing that Heritage is doing. With the pro-life movement this week, can you kind of give us from start to finish, which I'm sure we were already past where we started, on kind of what your week looks like and what the week for the Heritage Foundation looks like? Yeah. So we, we have a lot. It's going to be a crazy uh, and wild ride, but it'll be great. Uh, we have – during the march itself, we're going to be having an open house so that marchers who need a place to warm up or get a cup of coffee, charge their phone, can stop in. We want to be, you know, hospitality Uh, For those people, Uh, we'll also be hosting a couple of groups for briefings. So we have some law students that are coming in to talk about what are the implications uh, in the legal space uh, and what are some of the jobs that you you could be thinking about um, with Roe overturned. We're also hosting a whole bunch of students uh, from partner organizations for receptions throughout uh, the week, a chance for them to, to be in D.C., meet people, meet our experts uh, think about their future uh, mm-hmm. and, and network with each other. So that's, you know, everything from 
college to more recent alumni uh, to university professors are kind of in that mix. And then we're, we're having conversations with allies on all the different spaces um, of pro-life policy from uh, international space, all the funding that can go towards abortion abroad, yeah. to, you know, protecting the consciences of doctors. Uh, and, and today with the, the changes on uh, – the FDA changes on chemical abortion, you know, the conscience of pharmacists. Yeah. Um, and then, you know – Ideally, we would we'd love to see some some severe restrictions on abortion, but also what what's the the bare necessity? You know, the House just passed Born Alive, mm-hmm. uh, so making sure that message is getting out there. Uh, of course, Lauren and uh, uh, the rest of the comms team are really focused on getting that message around as yeah. well. So. Great partnerships. <laughs> yeah. So if you are in Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, come by the Heritage Foundation. We'd love to meet you and Absolutely. welcome you here. But ask for Bridget specifically. Yes. <laughs> I'm here to see Bridget. There are two of us. So. Oh, yes. No. yes. And then they're both Bridget W. Yes. It's indeed. a little so. confusing. Just go, just go to the booth and yell, Weissenberger! <laughs> That'll get you, Bridget. <laughs> but Bridget, for you, what are you most looking forward to for the 50th March for Life? Yeah. You know, it's really that we have this chance, and this is the first time we've really convened since the Dobbs decision came out. Um, so I'm looking forward to the hope we have. We have a, a battle ahead. But I think one of the great things about the march is seeing everyone come together and feeling that solidarity, that you're not alone. You might feel like you're isolated on this college campus here or at your place of work, but you're part of a lot of Americans who share this view that life should be protected, uh, protected in law and supported in, in life and culture. And so it, it just it gives you a new new energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, it is that energy to say, OK, we're going to keep fighting. We're in this for the long haul. Uh, and it's worth it. It's 100 percent worth it. Bridget, thank you. Thank you. Then thank you for all that you do. Bridget is really an unsung hero here at the Heritage Foundation. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on being Problematic Woman of the Week. (laughs) And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. And if you are not going to be physically in Washington, D.C. for the March for Life on Friday, be sure to be following the Daily signal across social media on instagram on youtube and twitter and heritage okay we're gonna have so much good content up so you can essentially feel like you're there even if you're not there but have a great rest of your week and we'll see you right back here next thursday Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.